0: What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or a review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Karen Ziegler, and we're going to be discussing innovative leadership strategies. Karen is the CEO of Revamp Success. She works with C-suite leaders, line of business executives, and business owners to improve performance, increase morale, and eliminate problems inhibiting their success. Karen helps leaders design the future of how their companies work by delivering experiential design thinking, training, and consulting. I'm very intrigued by design leadership and I'm excited to learn more about it today. Karen, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It is a pleasure to have you. Our our listeners are in for a real treat today. You have really opened my eyes to a world that I was unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a style of leadership, a thinking of leadership that I hadn't seen before and I appreciate you doing that and I think our listeners, if they haven't uh, heard of this concept and some of these strategies will as well. Karen, can you share with our listeners your journey and what's led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I started actually in the financial industry and um, I was one of those young bucks out of college that was ready to take on the world and um uh, It was funny because, you know, you have that college course where they ask you to interview three career paths and you choose, you know, that's how you chose where you went. Well, I, um, at the time, uh, brokerage or investments was a sales business and they just had a crash and the, the broker that I was interviewing had witnessed people jumping out of buildings. I think it was in the 80s or whatever. And I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. I interviewed an insurance uh, guy and it was all about sales and pressure and pressure and pressure. And I interviewed a banker and at the time it was all about service. And so that's where I chose my career. Little did I know that banking was about to get on a skyrocket into the sales field. And that's, you know, led to the, you know, scandals like Wells Fargo and such where they've you know, manipulated their sales habits and so many different things. But I, my intentions when I started in the banking career was to be one of service. And so um, when I finished the year of management training program, you know, I was 23. I think I was the youngest officer of the bank at the time. And I was scared to death. They were going to put me in a brand new office and I had no clue what I was doing. I had obviously studied a lot of leadership and stuff. So you know, that old saying about, is it nature? Is it nurture? I really am not sure, but I began to apply the techniques of design thinking before I even realized what design thinking was, because as a new manager, obviously they surrounded me with people with a lot of experience. And so I, uh, you know, began asking them, you know, how, do, how does a good performing team work? And, you know, how does a bad performing team work? What, you know, tell me your experiences, good, bad, and ugly in, uh, you know, performing as a banking center. And so we started in this little bitty branch in the middle of nowhere, you know, how expansions were at the outskirts of town at that time. And within six months, our branch was, uh, in the lead and we did one contest for the, uh, sales for that year. And, and then the mergers began the nineties for banking was full of mergers. And so Pretty much every two years, I was getting a promotion. I was getting uh, the opportunity to bring two teams together from different bank mergers and to recreate performance. And um, so, but it was very tiresome because there was something about it that just wasn't scratching um, the soul, if you will. And uh, even though I was very successful and and obviously you know re- performed in, and. and Went up the ranks. So at that time, I kind of transitioned to uh, investments because I had be- become familiar with the sales aspect at that point. And uh, I was about to raise my daughter. So I said, you know, being a solo uh, practitioner would be beneficial to my family. So I-, I went that route so I didn't have to manage employees at the time. And I did that for 10 years as well. Um, as that approached an end, still had that soul itch of not knowing what it was I was supposed to be doing. You know, there were aspects of investments I loved and obviously there's benefits to that career. So I took another decade and I wrote a couple books and I did a lot of volunteer work. And so still, you know, thinking that perhaps that method of service was kind of the answer to that soul itch. And so as I kind of wrapped up the end of that still not having found what i was looking for i i circled back to a book that i had read and actually got a coaching certification in Simon Sinek's start with the why book an excellent book if your listeners haven't read it but basically um as a as a coach for his program you you take uh your coaches through this process of identifying what it is they do and why they do it and and um so I decided at that point that I would do that again, but for myself this point. And, and so because I, I you know, I was at this midpoint in life that I'm like, I'm not done yet, but I don't want to go back to doing something that's just not uh, satisfying, even though it you know, creates some form of worldly success and it provides a service, obviously, I, I wanted to find satisfaction in it as well.
0: When did you when did you start your career with Bank of America?
1: Um, year or age? <laughs> you pick. <laughs> um, it was eighty nine was when I started it. Nineteen. Yeah, so it was not Bank of America then. I, it was a little bank in Fort Myers, Florida, called Bank of Lee County, I believe. And then we went from Bank of Lee County to. CNS bank to CNS Sovereign to nations Bank to Bank of America so in the span of ten years we went through those five mergers and in fact in my last um, objective on the banking center side of things I was involved in the mergers and acquisitions team and and it was right when interstate banking was taking place so we took I took part in a three bank merger that actually allowed uh, Bank of America to become an interstate bank and offer banking services across state lines.
0: I ask about when you did that because that's incredibly impressive. I mean, we're still at, at a point where we're working towards, but not anywhere near gender equality in the workforce. And for yeah. you to, to rise at, at a young age back in the 80s into this leadership position in a pretty male dominated work environment and then ultimately rise to a vice president with the bank of America, I think is just astounding. Just incredible. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, if you look across sectors, even though perhaps, you know, people could say that bank, the financial industry is still pretty male dominated at the top. Um, I would say middle to lower is, is very heavily on the female side of things. And, um, yeah, I think they certainly are allowing females to serve in in leadership roles that are meaningful.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And want to want to showcase that it's, uh, gender equality, social justice, you know, or some things that are very pa- uh, I'm very passionate about. Um, yeah. And to see you being one of the trailblazers, really paving the way out there, is sure. is awesome. It's great to have you here today. So let's step into what are the five steps of design thinking. If you could maybe list the steps out, maybe we could go through them one at a time if that works.
1: Yeah, I'll list them out for you first and then, you know, you can ask me questions as you like. Uh, the five phases are the first one being titled empathy. The next one is titled defining the problem. The next one's ideation, prototyping and testing. Okay. Now, design thinking historically started as a means for innovating products. And then it, of course, as um, the country or the world actually transitioned to services, then it became a manner of um, innovating services. But what's been discovered over the, you know, the first 20 years of design thinking is that really it can be applied to any problem. So now you see design thinking being applied to leadership. You see it being applied to business model innovation. You just see it being applied to change management initiatives, employee engagement culture, uh, you know, pretty much if there is a challenge or a problem going on in, inside an organization, whether it be about the getting more customers or serving the clients better or you know developing a solid foundation within the company, design thinking has application.
0: So it seems like with design thinking, and see if I'm tracking with you the right way, sure. The the world has become so much more complex. Yeah. Um, we're not completely based around factories anymore where you go in and you're making a specific part and standing on an assembly line. I mean artificial intelligence is really replacing those jobs. So now it's about how do we create unique approaches, design specific approaches for what your company is, for those you're serving, for those team members, uh, especially in a world where there's so much about, you talk about employee engagement, but a big driver of that is employee experience. And how do you custom that for the talent that you have within your team to help them reach their full potential? So they have that commitment, are willing to give their loyalty, that passionate discretionary effort. So you're really designing the the work environment through that leadership. Am I am I tracking there? Yes, you are.
1: No, you're tracking wonderfully. In fact, it's funny you mentioned the industrial age because I wrote a post not long ago about how human productivity is transforming from the industrial age through the information age to now the experience age, and it really is. Not only how our globe has evolved, but also how we've evolved as humans, and how we just continue to evolve is the only word I can think of right now. Um, to more to our true nature, I believe it has it has not only to do with how we work or how our businesses work, but actually who we are. Because the industrial age was all about you know you needed butts in the seats to do the work, you know, it was all about having the able bodies to do the work. The information age was all about logical thinking, brain information. And then the experience age is more about, okay, who is it we are? And we are creative beings by nature. And we're not just left brain beings. We're not walking around with one side of our head bigger than the other. We have a right brain too, and that's our creative brain. And so it's really about leading people and developing people's whole self, not just, you know, their body, having them show up for to do a task or their brain, the logical side of their brains, but the full potential that comes from tapping into their creativity as well.
0: Well, and that's a conversation I've been having with so many experts like yourself on the podcast and then away from the podcast, this whole concept that, and understanding that people want to come to work as their whole self. Yeah. They don't want to have to be one person when they're away and at home and another person when they're at work. And yeah. what we're asking of people and what's needed in today's society is so much more than a body. We yeah. need a mind, and we need to unleash the power of that mind. And as you talk about that and coming to work as your whole self, and one of the topics we've been talking a lot about is motivation, then I'll you know, pull back in and we'll go through these five steps. But I'm reading a book called Drive by Daniel Pink. And love him. You, know, you talk about the, yeah, the, the left brain things, the right brain is where we're really engaging people today. And yeah. it's funny, and I say this in a lot of different ways, but he broke it down into three words. The three things are the biggest motivators, the biggest drivers. The one was the first was autonomy, the second mm-hmm. was mastery, third was purpose. And yeah. so I bring that up and tie that into our conversation because those are the things that I believe design leadership and design thinking, are really tapping into as we shift more and, and want things out of the the right brain right yeah Our creative yeah side.
1: yeah and if you think about it you know there's so much talk about human-centered human-centered approaches to business human-centered innovation well humans have three aspects to themselves well, obviously we have a body so we there are certain things we can do or not do with that body We have a mind, which provides the logical, the thinking, the linear thinking. But then we also have, you know, call it soul, call it spirit, call it right brain or whatever. That spirit within us that um, houses our gifts, our talents, those things that we bring to the world. And the way we bring them to the world is through being creative. And that looks different. It's not just about making art or making music. It can be hundreds of things. Um, So... Yeah, most definitely. You want to bring the people, want to bring their whole selves to the workplace, and leading by design is truly a way that managers can lead the whole person to uh, help them discover. Because, as it was for me, you know, people know that something's missing, but they don't know what it is, And, and really often what's missing is that gift that they have that they need to bring out to the table. So, as a leader, it's understanding, you know, how can I help them identify what those gifts are? How can I let them prototype and test and create um, until they discover what they are? And it, it's, really a, it's really an engaging process for leaders and employees. It's really an um, empowering process. It, it creates those things that Daniel mentioned there, autonomy and the other things that you, you discussed.
0: So if you're going to go sit and work with a company, if you were coming to the city of Dixon where I'm the city manager of, and we were going to to train and to implement design thinking that is design leadership, we start with empathy. What does that look like?
1: Empathy. And, you know, I believe the statistics are 80% of us are not empathetic. And I can attest when I was a young 20 something year old that I was not an empathetic person. Um, so the, I didn't choose the title, but that's the title we've given. Empathy is really only a small part of what we're doing, but the goal of it, the empathy phase, is to understand the user, whether it be the employee or the customer or a partner or whatever, but to understand them, their needs, and their the problems and challenges they face. So the way this difference say for instance, and I'll use my experience as a a banking center manager. Um, If I, when I got my first promotion, I got promoted to a banking center that was not performing well. So it wasn't performing well. Then it was going through a merger. I was merging two teams together. There were people that were on the chopping block. So I had to go in there and talk about performance, but there was already a lot of fear in that, that setting. So what I needed to understand as a manager there was, you know, what do they see it? What do they deem as good performance? What do they see as the hindrance to performance? What do they see as things that make for high performing teams? So it's really understanding all of the users, um, how they, how they, um, under, you know, how they see the world because how I see the world and how, Maybe 10 different people see the world. It's going to be different, but there are going to be common threads throughout. And it becomes less about performance and really more about removing the blocks to performance. And the blocks being the problems that the users are having. So back to your Dixon situation. Um, how many people work for the city of Dixon?
0: 103.
1: Okay. And how many leaders do you have?
0: So we have, we have somewhere around 10 department heads
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: then we have, we've got to have at least 15 more to 20 more people in leadership positions.
1: Okay. Former
0: leadership positions.
1: I, the way I like to approach uh, teaching organizations design thinking is really about building an ecosystem So I would start with yourself as a city leader and whoever your direct reports are. And I would identify a challenge that just that upper level team is facing. Then I would go through the empathy and the five stages with you uh, and with the team. Then once you solve those issues, What I like to see, and I think it's the most effective uh, model, is to have those that have just gone through the process themselves and been taught the process, then to turn around and teach it to the next level. And then they are to solve the problems of the next level and and so forth. So it goes down the organization, but then it comes back up because when you get your frontline managers using design thinking to solve the problems that the people actually facing the customers are solving, then they can trickle back up to the top what the true problems are that are maybe uh, blocking out, you know, growth or income or efficiency, whatever it is. So it it begins to be a breathable organism rather than innovation being an island. Innovation is an ecosystem where not only is it happening at the top, but it's happening at the bottom and the things that perhaps are out of their control at the bottom or, maybe not within their budgets, they can bubble up to the top to be addressed so that you know, managers are no longer starting these change initiatives at the top that no one at the bottom cares about or wants to do. It's really making meaningful change that's gonna move the company forward, not be resisted from one party or the, or the next.
0: The change management and change leadership is such, such an important thing. You talk about the first step of of design leadership being empathy, true understanding. One of the laws of leadership I've adopted from uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits is seek first to understand, then be understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as you walk into this change leadership, and like this can't just be a top down thing. One of the the change change leadership something I just love to talk about because yeah, when I was too. the police chief, one of the things with police officers, and it's probably the same with everybody, is they hate change, right? Yeah. And so we created this formula of change leadership that involvement equals investment equals commitment. Nobody's yeah. going to become committed if they're not invested. Nobody's going to become invested if they're not involved. And then so very high levels of commitment transition to really what we're going through. And that's ownership to where people are yeah. doing things because they believe in it because they want to do it, not because Absolutely. they're told they have to. And so this yeah. process aligns really well. And, and yeah. I just love the, the understanding yeah, so, of so
1: on on some level you already are practicing design thinking. So yeah, the, the, um, and the thing I I mentioned, the five phases, but before even that all begins, leaders have to have a visionary question that they want to, that starts the conversation to understanding. So it could be, you know, how might we improve performance in our organization, or how might we, uh, deliver more effective service, but it's the vision question is how might we? And I love that because I mean it's very simple but it reframes something. So you take your problem, you know any problem you want to list. Uh, if you've ever heard the quote what where attention goes energy flows. you don't want to focus your attention on the problem. reframing using the vision question with design thinking takes your, focus off of the problem and onto the vision you want to create. But by its very nature, when you get people focused on the vision, being involved, invested and committed to the vision, then those problems begin to fall away because obviously in order to reach the vision, they they have to not exist. So you give them credence, but not that much. And you also ensure that what I see is the problem is what everybody else sees as the problem, because that's a lot of change management issues. You know, management thinks this is a problem. Employees think this is the problem, you know, and no one's on the same page. And so there's this battle of resistance going on, not just the fear, but there's also actual resistance because it's really not serve. You know, what management is doing is not serving employees and what employees are doing is not necessarily serving managers. So it's a kind of a battle.
0: Yeah, you, you broke down something that's super important to me and to our team. When we focus on the problem, our energy starts to go there. You know, Simon Sinek talks about some people see the obstacle, some people see the prize. Those that yeah. see the obstacle get the obstacle. Those that see the prize get the prize. And so one of our leadership mindsets and philosophies we have implemented, and I'm actually working right now with a few people and some of the consulting work I'm doing, is we have to adopt a solutions, not problems approach. Like yeah. when a problem exists, somebody who sees it is going to see it as a problem. I, I see those situations and automatically begin generating solutions. Like it isn't a negative response. It's like exciting that we're going to solve whatever it is. And here yeah. are these solutions. And then we create this environment where we say, you can't bring a problem without a solution. And yeah. and through the police department, you'd hear it all the time when something would come up and somebody got oh, solutions, not problems. And <laughs> yeah. Automatically reframes as we move forward. So
1: Yeah, well, and focusing on the problems is, is your quickest route to self-sabotage because what you focus on multiplies. And so, you know, if you've ever had the situation where you solve one problem and then 10 more pop up, uh, that, is the, that is the benefits of focusing on a problem or even focusing on a problem to solve it. Uh, you want to focus on the solution. There will be problems even in the solution you create. Um, that's just the nature of humanity, but you're focused in the direction you want to go, not necessarily in looking back at something that's existing, i.e. a problem.
0: So we begin with empathy, understanding, Mm -hmm. we define the problem. And in both of those things, in this style of leadership, you're inclusive to make sure that you're not just sitting around in a boardroom with high level executives, of your company, but you're actually engaging your team. So you yeah. have a full understanding, and you have a full understanding of of what it is we want to tackle, what it is we want to make better, what it is we want to add layers of greatness to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Defining the problem isn't leaders defining the problem; it's actually the employees defining the problems. So, in the t- you know, obviously, this doesn't happen in product innovation or service innovation, but in the to to a degree, it does, but overall, not in a team design thinking scenario, you, once you have interviewed all of your users, meaning all of your employees and people that are related to the problem, which could be maybe another department or, or someone outside of the team, once you've interviewed all those and you've kind of synthesized all that information, I call it sifting. But that's when you, you sift down to the problem. You actually have the, you know, the ability to go back to the users now, okay, now that I have heard everybody, and here's the common threads I find, and you kind of share what, so you're you're letting them define the problem. Now, it may be very similar, or ideally the same thing you saw as a leader, because leaders have a obviously different perspective, but it creates buy-in that, oh yeah, they were listening to me, they heard me. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And if you're off track, they go, "No, no, no, that's not what we meant." And you can clear, you know, it reduces the opportunity for conflict. So, because they're they're going to confirm, "Yeah, that's that's the problem we need to solve." That's, you know, and then Love you that. can go about priorities and budgets and and all those other discussions before you move into ideation.
0: So, let's let's move in. Let's take a step into ideation. Bring that to life for us. Yeah.
1: Ideation, you know, one of the fallacies about ideation is that it's just this big brainstorming session. Um, And maybe there's some aspects of that, though traditional brainstorming isn't always that effective. But I like to think of ideation as it is the bringing together of the needs of the user, in this case, the employees or the customers, and the resources of the organization. So, like for instance, when I was a young banking center manager, you know, I had zero budget, (laughs) I had zero authority to change any systems. Uh, You know, I was just I had a job; I was to go do it. Don't ask for any help. We're busy with the merger, so it doesn't have to have thousands of dollars like a traditional innovation project. You can say, you know what, when you're having your user discussions, you know, our budgets are limited. Obviously, our systems are what they are, but Knowing that, how would you do this? So ideation really is a marrying of the needs of the user and the resources of the organization, whether that's financial people, systems, whatever the case may be. So with those constraints put into place, then that's when the creativity begins.
0: Love that. So needs plus resources equals an environment of creativity.
1: Yeah, And if you do any reading on creativity, you will find that the more constraints, um, that are imposed upon a person, especially a creative person, the better they, they, they rise to the challenge and the more creative they become.
0: Based on constraints? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So that's, so the difference is when I heard that, I don't, don't think I heard it correctly. I thought of constraints as something similar to micromanagement, but that's not that at all. Constraints as far as like, here's what we need and here's our resources. So now we've got to become very, very creative to yeah. find the solutions.
1: Exactly. Got it. And uh, this was kind of a, a uh, story I read recently about Steve Jobs and he wanted the phone, iPhone that they were developing, I don't know if it was the first one or another one, but he wanted it to fit in their pocket. And they just kept coming back with a phone that was bigger than that. And they're like, we can't do that. We can't do that. There's no way we can do that. And he took the phone that they built and he threw it in a fish tank and of course, air bubbles floated up from the top. He goes, there's more room in there. I want you to find how to, you know, make it happen. (laughs) So, so, and obviously we have the iPhone today, which is by far one of the most popular phones. And it's because of the constraints he put on it. So constraints, um, I don't know why it is, but that, you know, people rise to the challenge when they have constraints, uh, and they show you, I can be creative. Let me show you how creative I can be. Um, so it's, it's, it's cool to see that. So which is a little different than brainstorming or blue skying something things that, you know, Oh, if we could had all the money in the world, it's, it's not that, um, because all the money in the world and being able to do anything for users really doesn't matter if it's not what they need. So, yeah. That's what ideation is all about.
0: I got to tell you, Karen, I'm so enjoying this conversation. I'm learning so much as we're talking in different ways and thinking about the way we think and lead and what we believe in and channeling it through here and seeing why design leadership is such a powerful, innovative leadership strategy. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you breaking that down. And I got to believe that that a lot of people listening are, are having all these different light bulbs go off in their head and having all these puzzle pieces just like floating down and and, in making sense now Uh, how about prototyping
1: so prototyping obviously looks different in the management's aspect than it does in product or service innovation to to give context to it, product innovation would be like if i was building a new website um Prototyping might be simple as you know creating a PowerPoint that shows what the different screens are going to look like or the tabs of a website. So you didn't go through the expense of building the website; you just threw together some samples of what the pages might look like. That would be a prototype, and you want to prototype obviously with the least time and the least expense because prototyping and testing is a reiterative process. So. So if I was building a website for you, which I couldn't do, but so don't ask, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and I showed you here's five, here's the way I envision the five pages based on what you tell me. You can say, no, well, I can pitch that and give you another one, or you can give me feedback. Well, that doesn't meet my need here or there. So it's really uh, the prototyping and testing. It's unlikely that you'll get it hundred percent right the first time because, you know, there's always a check back with the user. So with, bringing it back to leadership. Say you define the problem, say, you know, a lot of people may be leaders of sales teams and performance is down. And I want to back, I want to make sure I make this point too because this is really cool when you're talking about sales performance and you go to someone to have a conversation about performance, it really becomes all about them and they're bad and they're not doing well. With design thinking, it takes the shift off the the shift off the individual and making them wrong, and making it a separate identity, making the performance wrong. So, for instance, if in in the ba- back in my banking center days, and I, I would have performance issues, and we talk about what's good performance look like and what's you know inhibiting performance. Well, it could be training, it could be lack of materials, it could be. Um, You know, maybe they don't know the sales process. There's a number of things that could be. So in the prototyping and testing, you're just testing different things. You know, um, maybe they don't understand how to ask open-ended questions. That's a simple thing. So you want to provide that. The prototyping is all about trying to meet that need in a way to see if it is the fix. To the if it moves you forward in the vision, so prototyping in, as leadership could be something as simple as training. It could be simple as simple as um, you know how they how the process works with the back office. It could be how they interact with their teammates. Um, it could be how communication is with the leader. You know, There's a number of things, so you want to just begin to prototype and test different ways of doing it. If the way that it's being done right now isn't working, well, okay, what else can we try? This is where you really can get to tap into that whole person, because when you talk about what the problem is and ideas for creating a prototype to test, you can then in turn, okay, well, what part of this do you want to participate in? you know, what part of this solution uh, really gets you excited? Um, Maybe you have someone who loves to write, so they want to write the copy for the sales script, or maybe you have someone who wants to be a professional speaker one day, and so you allow them to sit, stand before the group and do the training, or, you know, maybe you have someone who um, is great at hospitality, so they want to set the 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 external environment in a better way. So you really begin to tap into those creative aspects of the individual, then they can contribute to the team in a more meaningful way. Not only more meaningful to you as their leader and to the performance of the team, but more meaningful to them because it's just not they're not showing up and being a body doing their job um, mindlessly. They're actually bringing their best selves to the to the table. Love that. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. That's what it's all about. That's what leadership is is all about. Helping people, you know, become the best versions of, of themselves and, and seeing them reach and, and fulfill their purpose, their passion, the impact they want to create, watching them grow, watching the confidence rise. I mean Oh yeah. Just and, and just belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Pillar two and the seven pillars of ownership we've created is sense of belonging. Yeah. People want to belong. We all want to belong. There was a great post today on LinkedIn on somebody that I'm following that had to do with belonging, the importance Mm -hmm. of belonging. And this process really shows people that they're cared about, they're valued, they're trusted, they're respected, they belong, they matter. And it's such a powerful, powerful tool for culture and ecosystem as as you talked about. So what's... So when you're prototyping, <clears throat> pardon me. So step four is prototyping. Step five is testing. So is yeah. this something where you're prototyping, testing, prototype? How, how do those are they completely separate? Are they intertwined?
1: They 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 flow together. Ideation, prototyping, and testing can be a loop that you can get on, uh, especially for the more complex things. You know, we're talking about sales, so that's can be, can be a very simple thing, but uh, for more challenging things, it it can take on a little more life to it. So prototyping is really, okay, this is how we think it would work. Testing is going back to the user and going, okay, um, this is the problem you defined. These are the solutions we came up with. Here's our prototype. Let us test it. Say training was the issue for the sales team. So you, you launched a sales training and you let your employee that wants to speak, do it, or this person wrote the script or the handout or whatever. Then you go back to them. Okay. How did that work? Was was the thing that you were, you know, not understanding? Is it, are you understanding it now? Do you like the way we did this? Is there something we could improve it? It's that, can we improve it even further? That takes you back to ideation, prototyping and testing. So that's the great thing about it because you're the employee is no longer the problem. The employee is the solution. And like you said, uh, Danny, their, their input matters. Their you know, what they bring to the table matters. Really everyone is on an equal playing field because everyone is trying to achieve the same vision. That makes sense. Absolutely. And they're bringing their best to, you know, uh, achieving that vision.
0: Yeah and I hear what I hear there is aligning mission and purpose. Yeah.
1: Right? Absolutely. Understanding
0: the vision, aligning mission and purpose and th- there's nothing more powerful than than having purpose driven people on your team. Yeah. If you do and you can't and you can't align their purpose and what drives them with the purpose of the team and the organization, then things need to be reconsidered. But but there's a way if you've got those right purpose driven people yeah. and it's being intentional about it. And you know, it's funny, I think about old school leadership, I think about, and not that it was bad, but I mm-hmm. think about the, the leadership when I came on the police department at 21 years old, Yeah, this, this can be, people can look at this and say, wow, this is a lot of work, it's a lot easier just to tell somebody to go do something, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the top-down yeah. hierarchy, but what you're describing here and what you've walked through here, it's just so clear, these kind of, th- these components create excellence. Yeah. organizational excellence, the highest levels of performance, the, you know, by individuals and by teams. And I can see why now you're so passionate about design leadership. And it's all it become much clearer to me in this whole concept.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. Um, I believe it's Gartner Research. I'd have to look up the specifics, but I think it was like 74% of employees uh, spend, I think it was, it was either an hour and a half or three hours a day, doing workarounds to their job, and they calculated that out, and it is millions and millions of dollars to companies because companies. It it, it reminds me of the quote: "You can do things." Um, oh shoot, it's not coming to me. But basically, you know, in pursuit of effective, we don't do the. You know, in in, in, in pursuit of trying to do things correctly. We don't do things that are correct. Meaning we don't, you know, again, the vision of just solving the right problem. Um, but yeah, that goes away with design thinking because you're solving the right problem. You're solving the problem that matters to the people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, we've got just a couple minutes left here. And one of the things that i done in some of my research, and it was something that, that you shared with me some time ago when we first met was the five reasons uh, why design leadership is the future of, of leadership. Mm. I'm going to walk through those really fast. Okay. I'm going to have you make a couple comments as related to some that you think are the most important.
1: Sure. The first
0: one is creativity. Mm-hmm. The second one is artificial intelligence. Uh, and, and it said the future of human work is imagination, creativity, and strategy because so many other things are being automated. The, the third is experience economy being dialed in with your customers once and with your team members once and and really engaging your customers because they want more than a product, now they want an experience. Complexity, Mm -hmm. um, the idea that every area of the business now has to be interconnected, making complex problems and the solutions to them simple. And then the last one is job crafting, which really dials in specifically on employee experience. So of those five things, maybe what's one or two of them are the most important um, statement or call to action for design leadership?
1: Well, it's funny you use the word connection in, in describing some of that. I think all five of them are interconnected. I don't know that you can separate them apart, but it is... It is the vision of the future that we're headed into with, with AI, for example. With AI, AI is being designed to take away the mundane tasks. Those tasks that needed a body and, and to show up and do the work can now be done by, by a machine. And so if you take away all the mundane tasks that only require a body or you take away a lot of them, then if you're, if you're talking about the human again, between body, logical mind and creative mind, uh, what's left is the creativity. You know, if you no longer need a body for most of the jobs and the logical mind is not necessarily, um, as important as the creative mind because we want to progress with innovation, then that's where designing comes in. Um, job crafting is just an element of that. You know, that is, you know, when you're leading by design, you are helping the person craft the job that is right for them. The one that they're passionate about, the one that they show up and do their best work for. And so now say your team was originally 10 people doing all the same job. Now you have 10 people doing very different jobs that feed into the same goal. Well, I don't know if you've ever worked with creatives, but it can be like herding cats. So how do you not only craft the job for the person themselves, allowing them to do their best work and, and do the work that they're the best at, how do you begin to bring those 10 pieces together to accomplish the goal that you have as a company or as an organization? That's why leading by design is so relevant.
0: I love um, when you say that and you talk about bringing those people together, the the phrase that comes to my mind is synergy of champions. The yeah. idea that one person can do incredible things. When you bring 10 people together that can do incredible things, it doesn't multiply their effectiveness or impact by 10. It multiplies it by like a thousand. Oh, yeah. And so that synergy of champions and the synergy of bringing all this together. Karen, do you have a, a specific call to action or, or challenge to leaders and, and aspiring leaders who are listening to this podcast?
1: Um, well, I would just say that if you haven't looked into design thinking, I certainly would recommend it, um, especially if you're not nearing retirement age or not ready to give up uh, impacting people in your lives. I mean, that's what leadership is all about. Um, regardless of how long you've been leading, design, leading by design or, or leading as a designer will allow you to have even a greater impact. Uh, And you may find there's a lot of things uh, if you're a great leader already that you're doing that really align with design thinking. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just where our future is headed. It's what our employees and our customers want. And quite frankly, it releases a lot of pressure that leaders carry on themselves. You know, a lot of times leaders, especially those that are micromanaging or, stressed out about performance, that, you know, they're carrying these burdens as leaders that really aren't theirs to carry. And it's out of fear and of being vulnerable, a fear of uh, looking like they're a failure. You know, there's a number of fears, but that they're weighing themselves down with responsibilities that their team would gladly begin to share with them in order to be a part of a bigger vision and in order to bring them their whole and their best self to work.
0: Love that. Absolutely love that. And I think people in leadership positions think that they have to have all the answers. They have to have all the solutions. And the fact of the matter is if that were the case, if you needed to do, do everything, you wouldn't need your team.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the
0: more that we understand and realize our job is to be there to help and to support our people, to give them the resources, to give the direction, to include them, and how to, right, and then get out of their way and let them go after yeah. it. Let them go yeah. get it. So, so powerful. Karen, thank you so much for joining yeah. me today. A really, thank
1: you. thank you.
0: No, yeah, this, you. Has been, this has been a great conversation. I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to share this with, with our listeners.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: So if you're interested in learning more about Karen, uh, more about leadership by design, in the details for the podcast, there's going to be links on how you can connect with Karen. Again, going back through design leadership, the five steps are empathy, defining the problem, ideation, prototyping, and testing. And a lot of times, three, four, and five work together, become in a loop as you take your organization and, and you look to achieve and sustain excellence so many great, great pieces of information, so much more clarity on the concept To me now I understand why it is so so powerful you know as we moved you know from years ago in the industrial age to the information age to now what truly is that experience age. To our listeners, thank you for sharing this time with us. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing, giving us a rating, leaving a review, sharing it with your network. This truly helps us help more people. If you're interested in receiving more cutting edge leadership information, You can subscribe to our email list on our website. We promise not to overwhelm your inbox. The direct link is in the podcast description. Again, thank you for joining us today. And remember, always be committed to excellence.